Hello, I'm Dr. Hannah Cartmore. Thank you for joining me for some thinking time. This podcast aims to make educational and child psychology research accessible for everyone, and I hope it informs, inspires, and ignites new ways of thinking and doing. The podcast is a discussion about research and is not intended to take the place of individual professional advice. It is also not endorsed by or connected to the organisations that I work for. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Shannon Kokorin about her recent doctoral research, which explored emotionally-based school non-attendance, or EBSNA. EBSNA is a hot issue within child and educational psychology. The 2022 attendance audit from the Children's Commissioner found that in autumn 2021, one in four children were persistently absent. This is compared to one in nine from 2018 to 2019, meaning that persistent absence had more than doubled in that time period. Many services are currently developing packages of support to meet the needs of children, young people and families affected by EBSNA. In this episode, Dr Kakorin will discuss the research she conducted in relation to EBSNA and what people can take from her findings. Now it's time to take a breath and have some thinking time. So hi, welcome Dr Shannon Kokoran. Thank you for joining me today for some thinking time. Um, I'm really looking forward to discussing your research and thinking about how we can apply what we learn from it. Um, so you recently completed your doctoral research exploring EBSNA, which we'll go on to explain in a minute. Um, but we know that it's emotionally based school non-attendance. And from that, you've published two journal papers. Uh, one, which is a meta, if I get this right, <laughs> the graphic understanding of children and young people's experiences of extended school non-attendance and emotionally based school non-attendance to successful returns to school following lockdown. Um, and I'll include both the references for both those papers in the show notes, people can refer to them. Um, but obviously we're going to be unpicking those, uh, the research that you've done a bit more through this discussion. So I was thinking a good place to start would be um, just to explore really what we mean by EBSNA. Obviously that's the focus of your research. Um, and obviously, within our line of work, we love an acronym <laughs> just to confuse everybody. Um, so, should we start with what we mean? What exactly we mean by EBSNA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you, Hannah, for having me on the podcast. Um, it's a topic I'm very passionate about, very interested in, having spent the last three years thinking of not a lot else. Um, so, yeah, I suppose what are we talking about when we talk about EBSNA or emotionally based school non-attendance? And I think broadly. We're talking about all those children and young people who have some sort of anxiety around attending school. For some of them, that might be anxiety, but they do manage to attend still. And for others, it's those children and young people who are not able to attend school at all and everybody in between, really. So it's a bit of an umbrella term um, that we're using. Okay. And and I know that you've purposely chosen Ebsen Avenue because I know that it can be referred to in different ways. So why, why kind of Ebsen specifically? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I put a lot of thought into the terminology that was being used. Um, so we're using the term EBSNA, I think, firstly, that emotionally based to indicate that anxiety driver behind it and that that there are factors happening and there are things which, again, we'll come on to, I think, later on. But there are things happening in that young person's life that are giving them an emotional response to attending school. Um and that first part I wasn't sure about including because lots of young people talk about the anxiety as a symptom. That's not the cause. Um, but I think it helps promote that understanding really for lots of professionals and people working to help these young people that it is an emotionally driven response. Um, 
And then again, so school non-attendance, we've chosen rather than school avoidance, which is one of the other or school refusal, which we hear a little bit of, um, because one of the main things that came out of the work with children, and young people was that this is not a choice. Um, almost every child and young person um, that was included in the research wanted to attend school and that was their end goal. Mm. So we chose non-attendance as a more neutral term, really, than avoidance or refusal. Um, yeah. And why is kind of Epsness such such a kind of hot issue then, do you think? Um, why is it important that we look at it? So I think... We both work in education. We both have a fundamental belief that education is good for you and serves a purpose. Um, Whether that is the existing school system is a broader question, but I think generally being in school is something that gives positive outcomes for most young people. Um, And not attending school, as we've seen sort of within the research, is often a symptom that there's an issue within that school environment. And I think part of the reason, hope possibly that that is growing at the moment is around changes in that school environment I know there's been lots post-COVID this did exist before COVID which we did see um, but there's lots more publicity and you see a lot more about it in the media of those non-attenders and children missing from education Um, and I do think that's reflective of broader changes in the school environment less capacity for inclusion less resourcing um, and that is reflected in children and young people's ability to cope within that environment and ultimately to keep every day getting themselves in Fantastic. So, I mean, I know it's such a, um, you know, through kind of work, the work that I do as well, I know there's such a kind of, like, well, it seems a very kind of common occurrence now, really, in terms of, is that something that you found in terms of, you know, when you're doing a literature review, in terms of statistics around it, is it a growing issue? Um, that wasn't something that specifically came out from the literature review, to be honest. Okay. And we looked at papers from over the last 10 years. Um, And there wasn't a massive difference, really, in reasons for pre and post. Um, I think one thing that really did surprise me about the literature was that almost all of the factors that the children and young people spoke about were school-based. And I know there's quite a bit of narrative around parents and parent attitudes, which do impact the ability to attend. I think that is a factor. But we were really surprised that almost all of what the children and young people spoke about was things that were happening in school um, and that being much more important to them. Okay, and so we'll like I say we'll come on to that a bit more in a minute. Um, I guess you know before we get too in, into that, um, you know we've obviously mentioned the papers that you've you've done and the research you've um, conducted. So can you just give us a bit kind of a brief summary of what exactly you, you did? You know what did you do in terms of finding finding out about Ebsner? Yes, absolutely. Um, so for those not so familiar with the Manchester doctorate, um, so that's where I did my educational psychologist training. And as part of that, you complete a number of separate sort of research projects, really. And that's Ebsner was my theme within that. So the first paper that you mentioned around the two case studies um, was my pilot study, the A1 for any Manchester Teps who might be listening. Um, so the pilot study I used really to get a feel for Ebsner and what is working well. Um, so that was two families where the young person had had difficulties attending school previously but was now attending um so that was a more empirical project looking at the factors that had helped um we then did the literature review again which we just touched on uh, where we did a systematic literature review over the last 10 years of all of the research um which talks about children young people's experiences and we did a synthesis of that really to see what an overall um information that had gathered and then the third piece of research which is not yet published um, but which hopefully will be soon and is also available through the Manchester thesis repository if anybody wants to read it in full um, was then action research with the local authority in Greater Manchester to look at how 
all of that information could form that evidence-based practice really and inform policy within one local authority. Fantastic. Um, And I guess in terms of you know some of the technical terms that we've described there okay so I'm conscious that some people listening to this might not um be that flu- fluent necessarily in yes. kind of research terms and I know um perhaps you and I have you know talk about some of these things quite a lot um so in terms of like a literature review what we mean mm-hmm. by that is uh, you, you tell me talk me through it because obviously the approach you take might be different to, to one that absolutely yeah um so the literature review was pretty much using um, search engines so looking on google and in different academic papers for any research which has been done in the last 10 years um getting the views of children and young people experiencing difficulties attending school so i used a range of different sort of words to google and to put into these search engines and i tried to pull together every piece of research i could find from the last 10 years um i then read them all very thoroughly and compiled really all the different themes so what each of them had said were the main things they'd found out I looked at that all together really to find out as a broader picture what is the research telling us that children young people are experiencing brilliant okay and then you said um you know obviously you then conducted some of your own research and you described it as action research so what again what what do we mean by action action research yeah really good question um So action research, I suppose, is research with rather than research to. Um, So participants, so the people taking part in the research um, were professionals working across the local authority. So for them, it was their day to day jobs. They're not academics. They're not people studying for a living. Um, This was their job. And they had approached the university to say, you know, can you help us develop this policy using what you know from the evidence and using the scientific method, really? Um, so I was the researcher, but I was very much working alongside them using what we knew from the research rather than a sort of cause and effect experiment that you might picture as traditional research. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you very much worked alongside like the, pe- the people that were, um, you know, doing their jobs, like you say, and they were the ones that kind of perhaps um, helped to structure the way that the research was um, conducted and how you explored that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we sort of worked through um, what we called cycles. Um, So the people I was working with would say to me, this is so, for example, we really want to write a policy um, to tell everybody across our local authority how we want them to support these children, young people. So I went away, looked at the research, spoke to some different people across the authority, produced a draft, and then they read that and would say, "Okay, we like this. We don't like this. This is what we want to do with that next. And we sort of worked through that process of asking and then doing and then reviewing to formalize really the support and we did that over a whole year um to really really get in depth of what we wanted that practice to look like fantastic fantastic it sounds like such a important piece of work really in terms of like you say really getting to the heart of of some of the issues relating to this definitely Um, and I think what was so important throughout the whole piece of research um that I really wanted to think about was who this intervention is for um, I think it's speaking to the parents, the young people, the professionals. That's how we're going to get this right. It's the people who are on the ground doing this every single day and really trying to help those young people. So it was really important to have their opinions and their voices throughout all of the research, really. Fantastic. And, that, and then that leads really, really nicely to what I was thinking about and um, asking you about next, which is um, obviously with the literature review, you mentioned that, um, you explored kind of young people's views in relation to this issue. And then 
with your the action research you described, you explored um, parent care and, and school staff views. Um, so I, I know we could talk about this for hours, but <laughs> I guess <laughs> what, what, what were the, some of the key things that you found out from, from t- speaking to those different groups? Um, so I think I'll start with the children and young people. So that was through the literature review. Um, and I would say the number one message that I took from that that I'm most keen really to share with everybody is that these children wanted to go to school. That was something they really wanted to get across was mm-hmm. that um, they described it as an experience of dropping out and being ground down. Um it was not a choice at any point for them to not attend. And almost all of them said, I want to get back into school. I just don't know how, or I don't feel that I've got the help to achieve that. So that was really important to me that the motivation is there. Um, The second thing I think that really came out from speaking to the children and young people was that almost everything they spoke about that impacted their ability to attend was school related. Um, And I think that's not to say that their families weren't a big influence within that, but it it gave me hope in a sense that a lot of what they're talking about within schools is something that we can do something about Mm. um, as professionals, as people working with school staff or, you know, people who are listening to this who are school staff. There are lots of small changes, which I think we'll come on to in a little bit, that just through listening to these children and young people could make it much easier for them to attend school. Um, And that was really meaningful for me because it gave me hope um, that there's something we can do here to improve it. And just, I guess, just to um, clarify, so obviously within your research, you um, with the literature review, that was kind of obviously, um, obviously you were kind of, what's the word, trying to gather the research from the last 10 years, I think you said. Mm. Um, so was that all ages? Like, you know, in terms of what was coming out in the research, was that kind of all um, the, from the full kind of spectrum of school um, age? No, it wasn't. Um, So interestingly, no research has ever been done with primary school children that I could find specifically in this area. Um, So all of the studies that I found were working with secondary school um, aged young people or post 16 who were talking about their experiences of being in secondary school. Um, However, it was a mix of gender and it was a mix from across the UK. Um, So, yeah, just secondary, really. Yeah, Mm. that is interesting. and like you said, the, it sounds like, which I think is such a helpful way of kind of framing it, is that actually these young people wanted to be in, in school. Like you say, it wasn't a, an active choice of just not going to school. Mm. They they very much wanted to, but there were these significant barriers that were preventing them from doing that. Absolutely. Um, and so moving on then to think about um, the, the research then you went and conducted yourself. Um mm. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, so who who was it that you spoke to or, you know, who, how did you conduct that research? Mm. Um, so the first stage, which was the pilot study, um, we worked with parents um, and we worked with SENCOs, the Special Educational Needs Coordinator, so the person responsible in that school for helping young people with SEN. Um, and then we also worked with the educational psychologist from that case so that young person who had been supporting them Um, and I interviewed each of them separately about all those different things that we've talked about really so I asked them what do you think made it difficult for this child and what do you think you did that helped you know what has meant that they are now attending regularly what sort of things made a difference there Um, and it was quite interesting actually what they shared so the parents and the school staff and the educational psychologists all gave quite similar messages really Um, and they spoke in depth 
about that communication that they had that teamwork and all of them said oh I couldn't have done it without the other um which I think is really helpful to know that this is not on any one person's shoulders when a child is struggling to attend it's about working together um and they also spoke about which comes up time and time again in the research about being really individual and understanding it for that child um so they spoke about really listening to the child and their family to learn what specifically is it that's making it hard for them to attend so for one of them it was around difficulty separating from their parent and they were having some separation anxiety there and the school staff were explaining through changing their routine a little bit in the morning that gave him that time to regulate that he needed. And that was all it was that made the difference. But if they hadn't had that conversation with his mum, they would have never known that that was happening in the mornings at home. And so similar to with the literature review, it's all quite small things that do add up. Um, Mm. So that was really interesting hearing that they were quite aligned really Mm. in what they'd seen from that. Um, And then they also spoke, which, I think links back to what we were saying before about why is this maybe on the increase that something they'd found really useful was having time to reflect and think and make a plan together. Um, So for the school staff, they were saying that that was part of their meeting with the educational psychologist was having an hour set aside to just think about what they could do. And that was an hour of protected time, which they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, Mm. And it did make me think of actually, yeah, most teachers won't have that amount of time within the day to stop and think and just giving them that protected time to think about what can we do differently here made a real difference for each of those children um so the other part of your question um was around the other part of the research then within the local authority um and so as i explained before that was sort of doing with so we had a group um of a different group of senior people from across the local authority so somebody representing the special educational needs advisory service somebody representing the parent group somebody representing the educational psychology service somebody representing the school attendance team so more at the local authority level than at an individual school level um but similarly each of them spoke about the need to have something really practical and easy for school staff to use because recognising that there's not the time available um, for parents or for school staff and trying to make it really accessible um, in terms of what support we're suggesting. Fantastic. So it sounds like, you know, from what I'm taking from this is that what the the schools were saying very much was about relationships, wasn't it? And kind of being able to have that communication between, like you say, home and school and um, but equally having that time to, to reflect and to um, to stop and think really what, what were the causes underlying. And you've, you've yeah. already said that it was really important to take very much an individual and personalised stance on each of that. And I guess you can only do that if you do have that communication, those relationships, and also that time mm. to reflect. So it, it's all linked to each other, isn't it? Um, yeah. And like I said, we, we know, don't we, um, how busy um, school staff are. So um in terms of when you're speaking to the uh, kind of the more local authority level, having something that school staff can can, can do that's accessible, that's that's easy to use, um, and not just kind of a another another demand, another another kind of thing they have to worry about, something that's kind of mm. uh, manageable. Um, brilliant. Okay. Um, is there anything else in terms of um, things? Because we will move on to kind of what can we take from this, and we'll be kind of um, obviously think specifically about perhaps the, the different people perhaps potentially that might be listening to this that want to take some key messages from it um but anything else you wanted to 
to share in terms of what you found out from because there's different so many different strands to this actually aren't there you you were busy there are so many um I suppose the main thing um which feeds very much into what does that mean what do we do Mm -hmm. next um but I think the main message that I took from everybody that I spoke to was around that sense of belonging for the young people that feeling part of the school community um for the young people but also for their parents did their parents feel able to approach school staff did school staff feel able to have the capacity to do that and it was that community really of everybody coming together that made the difference in these cases wow it's so important isn't it mm. um and I guess but I will I'm going to hold on to that because I will come back on to <laughs> that in terms of thinking about practically what that could look yeah. like you know um so in terms of what we can take from this, because I know we've very much done a bit of a whistle-stop tour of, of your research there, Shannon, which feels a bit of a disservice when, like you say, you've, you've um, you know, been spending three years in the doctorate. It's <laughs> not <laughs> so I know a long time doing the research, but um, I guess, you know, perhaps some people listen to this will, will want to think about, well, what is it that I can take from this, you know, from mm. whether it's from a, a professional viewpoint or whether it's... Um, you know, parent care of someone who their young person themselves is, is struggling with in terms of relation to Ebsner. Um, so, but maybe let's start there then, shall we? Should we think about if a, if a parent carer is listening to this mm-hmm. and um, perhaps they do have their own worries about their, their own child, um, what do you think they can, can take from, from your research? Um, I think the first thing is trust your instincts. Every parent that I've spoken to has said that they were one of the first people to notice that Mm -hmm. something was going on with their child. And I think that is so key. You know your children best. If you think they're worrying about something, they probably are. And it's Mm -hmm. worth checking in with them. Speak to your child, reassure them um, and then speak to school staff. Um, Mm -hmm. I think absolutely share your concerns with school. Let them know. Um, One of the things that we hear quite a lot at first is they're fine in school. There's no issue in school. Um, but that's the stage where it's really important to say, well, they're not fine at home and there is anxiety about attending school. And can we work together to understand that and to do something about that? Mm. Um, and that's really important. Um, the other key message, which as a psychologist, I would really like to stress here is that your child's well-being is the most important thing. And there will be lots of pressure to attend school and have 100% attendance straight away. But actually, they can't do that until they're well. Mm-hmm. So if they're really struggling with their anxiety, that's the priority is their mental health and getting them well again, um, whatever is needed to achieve that really. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, work with school staff as best as you can, but you've got to do what's best for your child's well-being as well. Mm-hmm. And and this, you know, say if this didn't come up, but did um, parents and carers kind of say what their first kind of raised their concerns in terms of you know what were the first signs and you know things that they were noticing because I guess that might be quite helpful to know. Mm, So I think what a lot of the parents spoke about was that Sunday dread um, Mm. and them noticing particularly after weekends or after school holidays that the child was reluctant um, or was sort of withdrawn or showing those signs of worry about going back to school um, and then also difficulties in the morning routine so maybe a reluctance to get out of bed or they're not wanting to attend school or they're speaking about certain lessons or certain elements of school that they're anxious about or not wanting to go to um, whatever that is I think mm. it's those small signs that they were noticing before the full withdrawal from school there were little signs of worry yeah yeah, just just not being keen to actually mm. like start start that morning routine and to get themselves out of bed and get going yeah. to, to school. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, and I guess because we've talked quite a lot, haven't we, about kind of school school staff members then. So mm. again, as a you know busy um, teacher or other kind of members of staff in school, what could they take from your research? Yeah. Um, so as I sort of touched on before, that feeling that you belong within school was spoken about by almost all of the children, young people. Um, and I think for teachers, a lot of this is stuff that they will be doing day to day. Um, and it's just really prioritizing that. So building a relationship with those children, taking an interest, greeting them by name, um, asking them, you know, if you know what football team they support, ask them how the match was at the weekend. Those really 20 second interactions that do make a huge difference to the child's day. Um, also, another massive area was their relationships with their peers. So if you do see a child that seems that they're left out or they're having conflict or bullying, make sure they have that support available and that they have young people within school that they can feel included with, um, whether that's encouraging extracurricular, you know, get them in a lunchtime club, help them meet the people that they click with and have that sense of inclusion within school. Um, another big area that the young people spoke about was about their learning. So for some of them, they noticed that, well, they shared that having unmet learning needs was a reason that they found it hard to go to school so essentially they didn't understand what was happening in the lessons and once that's happened a few times they thought well what's the point of going in because I'm not going to know what's happening in this lesson as well um so for teachers I think that is being alert to children who are maybe not making the progress you would expect them to speaking to your SEN coordinator about that share your concerns with them don't wait for another teacher to intervene or raise that um, and help that young person get the learning support that they need before it becomes a real worry for them um, and then lastly I think just listen same as with the parents if you've got a sense that something's not right then it possibly isn't and check in with that child whether you're the best person to speak them speak to them or if you know there's another adult in school that they get on with just make sure they've got somebody to chat to about that brilliant and I think just coming back to your earlier point about you know learning needs you identifying that I think that's such a, a helpful point because I think you know it's it's it can be things like that that then lead to anxiety further down the, the yeah. road in terms of rather than be anxiety being there all along mm. if, if you know what I mean um so I think that's really helpful in terms of how some of these things, if they're missed, can actually lead to kind of yeah. further difficulties, can't they? Exactly. And that was a huge thing that came out of the work with the young people was they spoke about the relationships with teachers and peers and their learning. And exactly as you've just said, Hannah, that then led to them having some anxiety, which then became an issue in and of itself, which mm. made it harder to attend. Mm. And then they also spoke about then how do you explain to everybody when you've been off for a week, when your friends say, oh, where have you been? If you're 13, how do you explain that to your friends? Mm. Um, where, how do you come back from that? Um, so giving them that support, as you say, to avoid them getting to that stage of feeling different and feeling anxious. It's that preventative support. Was there anything um, that you found from, because I know obviously you, look, you looked at kind of um, integration post-lockdown where there'd been positive reintegration, mm. which is brilliant. Um, was there anything from that in terms of what, teachers or school staff did to enable that because I, I know um it can be a challenge can't it when perhaps young people have been off for a while that that mm. can be particularly difficult trying to kind of reintegrate yeah. them um yeah so a few things came out from that and the first one predictably was relationships mm. um as far as possible having one or two key adults within school where you really prioritize that relationship whether 
that's if they're attending then that can be the adult who meets them in the morning and maybe they have 10 minutes and they have a piece of toast and a cup of juice together before they go to lesson just that time for the child to relax let their anxiety go down a little bit Mm -hmm. after that journey in and then they're ready to go back into lessons um so for both of the the case studies actually they spoke about having a teaching assistant free up the class teacher um, so they said, actually, we, we knew the class teacher was the best person to do that because they're there all of the time. So they, these were both primary school children. Um, so they found an, a member of support staff who greeted the children and did the register for the first 10 minutes of the day. So the class teacher could sit with that child. Mm. Um, and this wasn't needed for the long term. I think that was only for four to six weeks or so. And then the child was able to manage the morning routine by themselves. But it's that prioritizing that relationship mm. and giving it time. Um Another thing that they really spoke about was being led by the child. Um, As you say, it's that anxiety and that well-being is really key. And if we force the child to do something that's making them anxious, it's just going to make them more anxious. Um, And so being led by them and listening to them when they say, actually, I'm not ready for that or I am ready for that. Let's do more of that. I want to stay a little bit longer today and giving them that autonomy. um, So that sense of control um, over their day. Brilliant. Um, and I think, again, that's a really helpful point about um, it's not always like a long term intervention mm. that we're talking about. It's, yeah. it's kind of doing the right thing in the in the now, isn't it? To, which yeah. can lead to, to really positive um, mm. results quite fa- fairly quickly, you know, in terms of like, say, yeah. it's not saying that they have to do that for the full academic year or whatever. Mm. So I think that's quite helpful as well when I, I know that, you know, people might listen to this thinking, oh, we've not possibly we haven't got the resource to do that or whatever, but we're it's not necessarily mm. something that has to be in the long term so that's yeah. helpful to hear yeah um so thinking then about perhaps some of our fellow colleagues you know other educational psychologists or even just perhaps other psychologists that you know I know kind of um perhaps within CAMS or whatever that might have um come across young people um mm. who they're supporting in relation to Ebsner um what do you think you know we I'm saying we because obviously I'm far within that um what can we take from that yeah and I think you know this is something I've I've worked a lot with the CAMS in the local authority where I've done this research because it's a rational anxiety which is something that even as professionals we can find quite hard to manage because it's not an unfounded anxiety often there is something real within school that is making this child worried um and I think the main thing as a professional is unpicking that um so number one is ask the child often even now I'll be surprised that somebody will ask me for advice and I'll say, well, what does the child say is the reason they're not going to school? And they go, well, nobody's asked them yet. Um, So do that first. Um, And that's something within the work I've done at the local authority, we've tried to make as easy as possible. So we've made a card sort. So that is just as simple as it sounds. It's lots of little pieces of paper that I've laminated that have got various reasons why a child might find it hard to go to school. So it might say I'm struggling with the work or I don't have friends or the corridor is too noisy. And somebody who the child trusts sits down with them, shows them the cards and says, oh, do any of these sound like you? Do any of them sound not like you? Um, And you give them that language then to share. Some older children, it might be as simple as just sitting down and asking them and they will speak and they will explain to you without the need for cards. Um, I know other people like to use a questionnaire or like sentence starters. Um, So there's lots of different creative ways you can do that by knowing the child. But I think then once you understand what the reasons are, what is it that they're finding difficult, that's when you can put the plan in place of either 
how can we minimize that? How can we reduce that for the child? Or how can we increase their ability to cope with that if it's not something that we can change um, and work with them, explain that to them? I think yeah. it's really important. And like you say, it comes back to that individual approach, isn't it? But you can yeah. only really decide what the individual approach is until you know that individual in terms of what, exactly. what's going on for them yeah yeah so there is not a one-size-fits-all with this unfortunately um and it is back to the drawing board every single time mm. um but that's what works and that's what we know works yeah is there anything did you find out anything in terms of um you know because i just coming back to your earlier point about the, the importance of communication between kind of everyone in, involved um was there anything about how psychologists or you know educational psychologists can facilitate that or how they go about doing that trying to you know support that communication Mm. I think one of the key roles for any psychologists out here listening I think is helping with that formulation it's how do we understand what is happening for this child um and helping to really build that picture up together and draw on everybody's strengths what can everybody do to help in this situation and get everybody on board um I think one thing which sadly can happen is that the relationship can break down between parents and school. I think, unfortunately, schools are in a really difficult position where they are judged on attendance percentages. They are judged on attainment outcomes of how many people pass their GCSEs. And it can be really hard for them when families are saying, well, they can only come in for an hour this week and then maybe two hours next week. And Mm -hmm. schools panic and they think, well, how do we explain this to Ofsted? And then families panic because they're being threatened with fines. Um, and it's it can be an awful situation for everybody. And I think as a as a Switzerland, as a neutral party, there's a really good place there for professionals to come in and bridge that gap and help people see each other's perspectives and think, actually, yeah, how can we work together on this? Um, which is, yeah, very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you say, getting that kind of holistic view then, isn't it, in terms yes. of everyone's perspective on, on what's happening? Mm. Um and I guess the, the the most important kind of audience, if you like, in all of this is perhaps young people themselves who yeah. they themselves might be thinking this this sounds like me in terms of um, feeling mm. kind of anxious about going to, to school. Um, do you have any kind of advice or tips in terms of what they might be able to take from, from your research? Definitely. I think if you're finding it hard to go to school, firstly, that's okay. And I think as we've seen through this podcast, it's actually quite common at the moment. Um, I think number one would be to speak to somebody that you trust about that, um, whether that's a friend, a parent, a sibling, um, a teacher at school, whoever it is that you feel you could speak to, or whether you can ask a, a friend or your brother or sister to speak to an adult for you to get some help with that. Um I would also say we've spoken quite a bit here about understanding the reasons why a child might be finding it hard to go to school and that being really important. But if you're sat listening to this thinking, I don't know why I find it hard, I just do. That is really normal as well. And that's where I think an adult can help you to understand that a bit more by doing some of those things we've spoken about. They might be able to talk through different reasons why it might be hard and you can have some time to think about those. Um, Yeah. And I guess like you said, so the important thing is kind of trying to, to share those concerns with someone um, and know that it can be quite normal to feel like that. Because I mm-hmm. guess that could be coming back to what you were saying about school belonging. And, you know, if, if you're feeling that you don't belong and that you're sort of an outsider in, in some way, you, you might kind of internalise some of this as, 
it being about you but actually yeah we know that a lot, a lot of young people can feel this way yeah it's not your fault I think is really key yeah yeah um okay well I mean we've covered so much there <laughs> Shannon okay already which is fantastic um what I was hoping we could do and this is you know what I'll do at the end of every um podcast episode is just really to try and summarize because I feel like we've covered so much in just a short <laughs> bit of time there yeah um so I guess before we wrap up um if we can just maybe summarize you know the discussion we've had just there and like I say those those key messages I know I know some of this might feel like we're kind of um, repeating ourselves or whatever but I think it's really important that people can um just just take you know what those key things are um in terms of yeah. your research yeah so I think the key messages as we've talked about today would be number one listen if somebody tells you they're worried um, about a child being anxious to attend school, whether that's the child themselves, whether that's their parent or another adult who knows them really well, listen. All the evidence shows the earlier we put this help in, the better it works. Um, the longer a child's out of school, the harder it is for them to get back. Um, so number one, listen. Number two, try and understand those reasons. You know, what is it that's making it harder for them to get into school? Why is it that maybe they feel like they don't belong or maybe they feel like they can't keep up with the learning or there's something else going on? Um, But work with the child to understand that. Listen to them um, and get their views. Get the views of people that know them well, like their parents and their teachers. Um, And as we spoke about before, use that to really try and understand what's happening for them. because within all of this, what's really come out is children want to go to school. Um, nobody wants to sit in their bedroom all day. That's not a nice place to be. And I think remembering that, uh, keeping the child's well-being as number one um, is how we will get them back into school. Um, and I think lastly, that giving people resources and time and space to give this support, it's not a quick fix. It's not something that will happen overnight. And teachers and professionals and parents will need time and space to have these meetings and to think about this and to try things to build them up over time um and I know the recent guidance from the department for education does say that you know we can have longer periods of um I forget what they call it now sort of reduced timetables that kind of thing they can have a gradual return to school that is okay from a policy perspective and they're recognizing that that's what the research tells us is needed um so taking that time to build up the support is okay and that's really interesting isn't it because I think like you say we know that schools are under so much pressure in terms of attendance figures mm. so it's interesting that from a policy level um they're now kind of saying that a reduced timetable if used like you say within the context of like almost mm. an intervention to support young people um absolutely okay yeah so in terms of um you know, think about because you know when we talk about research, obviously the research is um, a really helpful kind of in-depth exploration of this. You know, the certain issues that you've been exploring. I guess, what do you think um, should come next? You know, because I know that I'm sure it's also raised even more questions, perhaps. Mm. Um, so, where where do you think it would be helpful to kind of go next in terms of finding out more, or exploring the issue mm-hmm. of, of Epsna? Um. So I think one thing that I would find really interesting to know a bit more about is looking at those whole school approaches. What can we do at a whole school level to make schools feel more belonging 
that's probably the wrong wording, but for children to feel that they belong a bit more within those schools, how can we make them more inclusive and what do teachers need to be able to do that? Um, I think I could guess at some of the things that teachers might say they need to do that around that time and that resourcing training. Um, so one thing we're doing in the local authority at the moment is developing whole school training so that schools can think rather than on an individual level before things even start to get difficult at all how can we target some of these areas that we know are triggers um, so looking at that on a more holistic level um, across the whole school environment um, but I also think there's a lot more work needed around how we support those children and young people with really entrenched difficulties mm-hmm. so those who've maybe been out of school for two or three years um, what can we do in those situations? How can we bring it back from there to get their well-being back up and get them accessing education again? Um, I'd be really interested in any research that is going on in that area at the moment that I've maybe not heard about. Um, but I think it's something that lots of professionals struggle with and lots of families find really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even the fact naming that's really helpful as well, mm. because I guess, you know, in our early discussion, when we're talking about um, you know, children wanting to go to school and um, I think perhaps for, for some of those perhaps more entrenched, like we said, by, by entrenched mm-hmm. we mean those young people that have, have they say, been out of school for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a bit more compl- it's complica- complicated it and it's complex in terms of um, it, it being so long that they've been in school that, that they perhaps mm-hmm. don't have that same um, draw to school, you know, in terms of yeah. knowing you know what it is they want to do in terms of getting into school mm. and what that would look like yeah yeah like you said it would be really interesting to to explore that more mm. yeah great um Shannon that's absolutely fantastic listening to you today I, like I, said, I could talk forever about this um and it's just been really really thought-provoking as well like I said talking about some of those key messages um and thinking about how we you know from a, on a professional level but also you know thinking about you know, if, if for example, if my children ever had any kind of um, worries about going into school, it's made me think about that as well. Um, just before we finish, then, is there anything else that you feel that we've we've missed, or anything that you want to to add? Um, I don't think so. I think, yeah, just keep listening to children, young people. They know best. Oh, that's such a lovely way to end. Um, well, thank you again for joining me for some thinking time, um, Dr. Shannon Kukaran. Um, it's Like I say, it's been great finding out about your research and definitely has um, given me some things to think about. Um, and I know that it'll be of great benefit to a lot of people that hopefully will be listening to this and reading um, you know, your papers. Like I said, I'll be putting the, the links to those papers um, and your thesis within the show notes. So hopefully people can can explore that more in in their own time as well thank you hannah and thank you for having me you're very welcome so there you are the first episode of thinking time it was a pleasure talking to dr shannon kakaran i hope you found listening to our conversation as thought-provoking as i did as of any individual research study there are limitations that need to be considered and there should be caution when generalizing it to other contexts As we touched on in our discussion, Shannon's research refers to primary-age children who had recently had challenges with attendance, rather than those where there were longer-term difficulties. As referred to at the end, children with more entrenched challenges to attendance may have more complex needs and histories that should be considered. This is another growing area of interest within services and the research literature, and one I hope to return to on the podcast. Some reflections that I'm going to take from the discussion are the importance of keeping the child or young person's well-being as the priority. There can be competing demands and different agendas, but ultimately, well-being has to be the most important thing. 
Also, the points of positivity that Shannon highlighted. I think it's important to remember these with an issue, such as this, that can be very challenging. Shannon's findings suggest most children want to go to school and are motivated to do so with the right support. Also, within the research, it was largely school-based factors that were identified as barriers. As Shannon stated, this can give us hope, as it is something we can do something about. One final point, I thought it was also fitting that Shannon highlighted the importance of school staff having space to reflect, some thinking time. I hope this episode has helped you do just that. If you have any comments about this episode or ideas about what research topics you would like discussing or you would like to come on the podcast yourself, please do get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me again soon for some thinking time.